So good to be with you this morning. If you're new with us, my name is David Cassidy. I'm the lead pastor here at Spanish River Church, and we welcome you. And if you are new with us here, uh, you are today uh, joining us for what is the very beginning of a sermon series we're doing called One Heart, One Mission. We're taking some time to answer the questions that we ask about journeys that we go on. Why are we going? Where are we going? How are we getting there? And as every kid says from the back seat, are we there yet? So why would we do that together? Well, from time to time, every congregation has to take a season to really look deeply at why we do what we do. And we need to look at where we're going. We need to understand the destination that we are planning on arriving at. What is our vision together? What is our mission together? And one way of describing that is having one heart and one mission, because it's not simply the pursuit of individual separate missions, everybody doing what is right in their own eyes, but uh, something that happens in our hearts that joins us together around a shared purpose. Paul put it this way in Philippians. He says, if there's fellowship among you, be of one heart, one mind, and one purpose. And so that's really what we're after. And so when we pursue that one heart and that one mission, we discover the grace of God flowing to the church because he says in Psalm 133 how good and pleasant it is for God's people to dwell together in unity because there God commands his blessing. And so we anticipate the Lord sending his blessing upon a people who are on one mission together and are in one heart as they do that. So again, if you're new with us and you kind of go, well, what's Spanish River Church about? Where are you going? What are you doing? Well, again, this is a series that helps us make sure that we're clear about those things, and I believe it can help you too. We looked last week at the very beginning of this, and we, do, we, we sought to answer that question, why do we do what we do? Well, very, very simply, why, why does any church exist? In a certain sense, the why here at Spanish River is really no different than any other church for 2,000 years, and it's simply this. Every person on the planet needs a Savior. He needs to know Jesus Christ. God sent his Son to be the Savior of the world, and he not only gives us his Son to be our Savior, but he commissions us to bring the news about that Savior to everyone else. But as Brian so rightly said this morning, when Jesus comes to be our Savior, he not only saves us from our sin, he saves us from our solitude. And so we're gathered together into communities of people. You just saw people take membership vows to be joined together into a community of believers. That's what a, a, a church is. It's a community of people of faith People who would have been former enemies but are now friends, people from all different races, ethnicities, social standings, everybody all together, and the commonality is faith in Jesus Christ himself. And so our unity is not in anything other than Christ, but the unity we have in Christ makes all the other differences sources of joy rather than sources of pain. And so we're being built together into this, what Peter called a dwelling of God in the Holy Spirit to offer up spiritual sacrifices to God to proclaim the excellencies of Jesus in the world. Everybody needs a Savior. Everybody needs a great church to call home. That's why we do what we do. But 
how we do what we do is the critical issue we have to address today. And that's all about being rooted in the gospel, rooted in the good news of Jesus. So we're going to read some scripture together from Romans chapter 1 and Romans chapter 15. And I'm going to highlight for you this issue of what the message is that we bring to the world. Now as we do that, we're going to bring up a slide with our mission statement on it. We're going to read it aloud together. So just very, very briefly, here's what we've said our mission is. Let's read it aloud together. Then I'll just preface it this way. Because everybody needs Jesus and everybody needs a great church to call home, Spanish River Church is here to bring the transforming life and love of Jesus to our members, neighbors, and the nations in every generation through in word, deed, and sign. So I'm going to highlight this morning the word gospel and the fact that it is transformational. We are a people who are rooted in the gospel. So Romans chapter 1, let's pick it up here. Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel. This is the gospel, he says, of God. Of there means from. So this is the gospel from God which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. So everything in what we call the Old Testament is looking ahead. It's promising this message which came about. He promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, even Jesus Christ our Lord. And then drop down to verse 16. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. This is the word of the Lord. Well, let me just start off by, by, noting, by noting this. When you hear the word gospel, gospel is one of those words which gets kicked around in church quite a bit and in religious circles, and sometimes we bandy these words about without really just getting down to the basics, thinking deeply about exactly what that term means. And I want to I help us understand it a little bit. About 400 years before Jesus' birth, the Persian armies were closing in on Greeks on the Greek armies and about to overrun the entire Greek civilization and the people of Athens were packing their bags. They were sure that they would not be able to withstand the Persian forces. The Greek armies would be defeated before them and they would become refugees. Their city would be burned and destroyed. They're getting ready to leave. And in one of the greater upsets that has ever happened in history, um, it would be bigger than, 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 than Mercer beating Alabama. It would be bigger than that. When this occurred, one of the stunning moments in history, the Greeks beat the Persians. And when that tremendous reversal took place, a man in the Greek army was appointed to run back to Athens. The battle took place at a, at a, a little area called Marathon. And at Marathon, 26 miles from Athens, he was sent to run with the message. 26 miles from where? 
Marathon. That's where that comes from. 26 miles, running back to Athens. And when he got to the gates of the city before he dropped dead from running 26 miles as fast as he could, he announced gospel, good news, victory is ours. It was news. It was not advice. It was news. And it was what kind of news? It was the best news. You win. The enemy has been defeated. You can unpack your bags. Your city is not going to be burned. You're not going to be destroyed. You will not be refugees. I have good news for you today. That's where this term comes from. It's a Greek term. This word is good news. And we need to be really clear about how Paul is using it and how the apostles used it. When they used this term, they were announcing news about what God had already done. That's what news reports. News reports about what has happened. The gospel is good news about what God has done in Jesus Christ. It is not good advice about what we're supposed to do to gain his favor. In so many religious settings... And in so many churches, people think the message that comes on Sunday morning is supposed to be good advice about how you're supposed to live. But if you listen to good advice, if you think that the gospel is just good counsel or good advice, you will immediately run up against a wall that says, I've got all this good advice and good counsel, but I can't do it. But the gospel is not the announcement of God's good advice about how you're supposed to live. Now, God does have good advice about how you're supposed to live, but it's called the law. That's the law, not the what? Not the gospel. And here's the problem with the law. The problem with the law is this. The law is holy, just, and good. The law is intrinsically perfect. But something is wrong with us so that when we hear the law, there's a response that happens inside of us. If any parent in this room says to your child about anything, thou shalt not, what immediately happens in the heart of that child? Oh, yes, I will. No matter what you say, something down inside of them goes, I, I can't do that. I'm not supposed to. I can't wait to do that. And so when every, I don't know why this is, but pastors Sunday after Sunday show up in their churches saying, don't do it. But there's a, what Paul calls a law of sin down in the heart of people that when they hear, don't do it, says down in their hearts, I can't wait to do it. <laughs> and that's why it would not be good news if God came to us and said, stop it. What the gospel is, is this. It is not good advice about what you're supposed to do. It is good news about what God has done. What has God done? It is about what God has done in Jesus Christ. And Paul puts it this way. I'm not ashamed of this good news. It's a humbling good news. It announces that we are sinful people, that we are people who he says here in verse 18 are the kind of people who take the truth and sit on it. We suppress it. We hold it down. I don't want to admit the reality of what I'm really like down on the inside. I don't want to look at the actual state of affairs of what I've done and who I am. We suppress that truth. But when we deal with the reality of who we really are and what we've really done, there is actually good news for us because God sent his son and revealed the gift of his righteousness. He reveals his righteousness. And the way Paul works it out in the book of Romans 
leads to this. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. You and I are forgiven people, and it's because of this. God reveals his righteousness here in this message of the gospel, and it's a message concerning his son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus has come and done something incredible. He took all of our guilt and all of our shame and had every single particle, every single ounce, if you will, of all of our guilt, all of our shame, all the penalty that was due to us, and God counted that completely to Jesus. That's one part of what took place. It was all counted to him. And then God took the perfect righteousness of Jesus, the pristine, perfect righteousness of Jesus, and counted that to you, to sinful people, to me, a sinful man. God took the perfect righteousness of Jesus and counted it to us. The, all the sin of, that we have, I mean, think about it. It's too much. Just think about the sin on like, like this row right here. Okay, just that. I mean, that would be enough, right? But he took, he took the sin of the balcony and the sin of the back row. Oh, my gosh, the back row. Oh, my gosh. I was, I was back there this morning. Oh, my gosh. You guys just have no idea. He took all of that sin, every single bit of that, and he counted it all to Jesus. And when he died, it all died with him. And then he took the perfect righteousness of Jesus, and he counted it to us. And he calls us, us, righteous. Are you kidding me? Victory. The enemy is defeated. You will not be destroyed. <laughs> and you go, yeah, man, yeah, man, but have you, have you looked in the mirror? Because, dude, I still see sin down in me. Yeah, that's what Paul said. The law of sin is down within him. This is why Luther had this clever Latin phrase. I'm going to teach you a Latin phrase this morning. You don't have to remember it, but if you do, it will really impress your friends this week. Simul justus et peccator. At the same time, just and sinners. Because the reality is we still have sin inside of us. C.S. Lewis said every time he looked in the mirror, he saw within him a zoo of lusts, which he didn't want to have anybody see. But you and I who are sinful people, we see it within us. I mean, let's get real. We see down within us, don't we, the covetousness? I mean, man, when I see Ferraris, I'm sorry. I just go, oh, I believe Jesus wants me to have one of those. I really do. I mean, that's just my thing, right? Right? You know? And so you see, you have coveting. We got lying and deception. We suppress the truth. We hold it all down. But see, here's the thing. How forgiven are you? How, okay, okay, look. How many of you are righteous? Oh, see, you guys just weren't listening earlier, were you? You have had the perfect righteousness of Jesus counted to you. So how righteous are you? You're perfect. How many of you are perfectly righteous because of what God has done? Look at that. You look like charismatics, not Presbyterians there for just a second. I was going to take a, just take a picture of you with your hands up in the air and put it on Facebook. Shame, publicly shame all of you. All right. You are perfectly righteous in Jesus. All right, and that's true. That's a finished fact. It is what God has done. Well, if you are perfectly righteous and you are perfectly forgiven, then how real can you get about what's down inside? Well, then if, we, if, if that's the case, then we really can confess the truth 
about who we are and not suppress it anymore. We can admit it. We can confess it. And here's the thing. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And so we are perfectly righteous in Christ. What does this mean? The gospel liberates us personally. The gospel liberates us personally. This is the good news that has come from God, that God in Jesus Christ no longer counts our sins against us, but counts us righteous in Jesus Christ. That is an extraordinary truth, an extraordinary moment. And in that's, this is just the beginning because this gift of righteousness, you responded to it beautifully in a, a moment ago when I was preaching on this, and you responded with applause and cheers. You're like, yes, we're free. That, that victory is ours. What is happening when you hear that message? Rather than the message of don't, you're hearing the message of done. Not do, but finished. It is finished. When you hear that, something inside of you is broken open and transformed. You realize that you are loved by God, not because of anything you have done, but because you are the object of his mercy. He has inexplicably, mercifully showered us with his kindness and his generous, gracious, wildly exuberant, extravagant love and mercy. He has poured it into our lives. You and I, who are in high treason against him, rather than committing us to the dungeon and sentencing us to death, God has instead turned us from slaves into sons. It's an astonishing thing. And what happened in your heart when you heard that? Something began to change. Because when people encounter Jesus, not Christianity, Jesus, not a series of principles, Jesus, their hearts begin to change. And that's why we bring the transforming life and love of Jesus Christ to our city. You see, our city and our world is not changed by the church acting like the moral police in the world, telling the world how wrong it is. The world is changed by the church showing up in the world announcing what God has done in Jesus Christ. Our mission is not to go into the world and tell them how wrong they are. Our mission is to go into the world and tell them how loving and kind and gracious God is in giving his son to die for sinners. And I think one of the reasons the church is so bad at it is we don't believe it. I think sometimes we sit here going, oh, man, yeah, this is wonderful. But, man, do you have any idea how bad I am? You don't realize how, how stinky I am. Oh, no, I am. I've been a pastor for 40 years. I know exactly how bad we are. I, you, you cannot tell me anything I have not heard. Yeah, we're a disaster. We're a mess. But God calls us just. He calls us his own. He liberates us personally. But then he also unites us interpersonally. Look over at Romans chapter 15. Let's come over there. Romans chapter 15. We're going to pick this up in verse 5. Romans 15 verse 5. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. How did Christ welcome you? When you came to him, 
What was Jesus' posture towards you? As you now, I don't know how you came to the Lord. You may have had a dimmer switch conversion where the light slowly came on. You may have had a thunderclap conversion. By the way, lightning in South Florida, oh my gosh. <laughs> what in the world? <laughs> that is South Florida's superpower. I mean, I'm just looking at that stuff going, holy cow, I do not want to be anywhere close to that. I'm just going to stay here on the porch. I don't know what your conversion looked like. Maybe it was one of those lightning bolt conversions, okay? But however, maybe you sat there in a church for years, and then finally on the 47th time they sang, just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. And then finally you got up and you came. And what was Jesus doing when you got there? Standing there with his arms crossed, right? Going, about time. <laughs> about time. I mean, you kidding me? Really? After all I've done for you, that's the best you've got. Nice job. Is that how he did it? No, that's not how he did it. He's like, wow, look at you. Look at you rolling up. And he tells a story about that. He tells a story about the prodigal who comes home from the pig pen. It's a great story. How many of you are glad, though, that on the way home, the prodigal met the father rather than his elder brother? That would have been a different story, wouldn't it? I mean, the father meets him coming over the hill, and the father sees him and runs towards him. And the scripture says he runs towards him, and he hugs him, and he's kissing him. And the Greek is he kissed him and kept on kissing him. He's like... He's kissing this dude who smells like, he smells like pig poo. I mean, are you kidding me? He's just, bring the robe, put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Whoa, he was dead, he's alive. Whoa, let's have a party. Yeah. Elder brother would have met him, what do you want? Back for more money, huh? Blew it all, right? Great, you stink. Aren't you glad that guy just wasn't a deacon? <laughs> wasn't part of the welcome team at, at Spanish River. What are you doing here? I saw you at Home Depot this week. You, you're just an awful person. No, 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 no. That's not. No, welcome one another the way Jesus welcomes you. You know, Jesus welcomes all kinds of people. We've got to be a church that is a gospel-welcoming church. We are joined together interpersonally. There are lots of different kinds of churches in the world, lots of different denominations, but at the end of the day, there's only two kinds of churches, gospel churches and legalist churches. Legalist churches can be conservative or liberal. It doesn't really matter. But the essence of a legalist church is you can join us if you behave yourself, wear our kind of clothes, come from our kind of neighborhood, and have our kind of politics. And if you check all those boxes, we'll think about letting you in. But a gospel church sees people coming from a pig pen and goes, yeah, baby, we are glad you're here. Welcome to the fellowship. Can we get you some coffee? Would you like something to drink? Can we wash your stinky feet? Because we are so glad you're here. Because we have been welcomed ourselves out of our own pig pens. And if you are a person upon whom God has had mercy, then you love giving mercy to everybody else. And you don't go asking about where'd you come from, what's your church. Do you, I mean, can you imagine? That's not how heaven receives us. Think about the, the guy who died, the thief who Jesus forgave. He's dying there on that cross. Jesus is dying on the cross. And this guy says, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And Jesus says, today you'll be with me in, in paradise. And then that guy dies like a couple minutes later. He didn't have any time to do anything. He didn't have any time to learn any theology. 
He didn't have any time to go to a good doctrine class. That's not how it worked for him. He just died, and then he showed up in heaven. That must have been somewhat disconcerting. I mean, he just shows up there at the gate, and an angel's going, um, who are you? Well, I'm Bob, the guy from the, I just died. What are you doing here? I don't know. I'm not even sure where I am. <laughs> yeah, I think it's something about paradise. Well, do you know any scripture? No, not really. Do you know justification by faith alone? Never heard of it. Did you pray a sinner's prayer? Did you ever hear just as I am? You know, no. Uh, no. Just a second, I'm going to have to get a supervisor. Right? <laughs> a very large senior angel comes over, you know. Uh, 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 pardon me, sir, but uh, uh, why, why are you here? Uh, well, the guy, the guy on the middle cross said I could come. The guy on the middle cross said I could come. Why are you here? Because the guy on the middle cross said you could come. And so you don't look at somebody and go, well, you have a different race. You have a different ethnicity. You have a different socioeconomic status. You have a different politics than me. None of those things, none of those things are the basis of any fellowship in Jesus. The only basis of our fellowship is Jesus. This is an interpersonal community of faith in Jesus, a bringing together of people who would have been enemies and are now reconciled friends, and our unity is never found in the stuff the world says makes unity. The reconciliation of the cross is what makes us one and will keep us one forever. Be a welcoming church. Look at everybody who walks in the door. It doesn't matter their age. It doesn't matter their gender. It doesn't matter what gender they think they are. Welcome everybody in Jesus' name and say, welcome to the fellowship of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's gospel culture. All right, but this gospel culture is for... For the whole world. And that's why the gospel also commissions us missionally. Romans chapter 15, a little further on. Verse 18. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit. So that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Jesus and thus I make it my ambition, and this is our ambition at Spanish River, it's the same ambition Paul had, to preach the gospel. Not where Christ is already named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. What a promise. Those who've had no news of him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. We have Paul's theology, but do we have Paul's missiology? You see, the, the theology of the early church was a theology on the go. These were people on the move. Paul was on the go. It wasn't ivory tower theology. It was a theology on the go. It was a people on the go. The early church are a people on the go. Spanish River has to be a church on the go. It always has been. Thank God for that. Over 500 churches have been planted because you partnered with them 
in over 35 different countries on every single continent on this planet except Antarctica. Because who from South Florida is going to Antarctica, right? I mean, why? But in every other continent on the world, for the last several years, you have partnered in the planting of 500 churches, 37 countries, every single habitable continent. My friends, let's go get 500 more. Let's go take it to those who have not seen and those who have not heard. But let's not forget while we do it to do it here. You see, there are like 1.6 million people in this county. And do you know the biggest statistical group among them when it comes to religious affiliation? And it's the, it's the fastest growing group in our county. 63% of our county's population identifies as no religious affiliation. None. You know what I call that? An opportunity. An opportunity for revival. An opportunity for mission. An opportunity for us to understand that while God has called us to himself and called us together into a rich community of the gospel, God also wants to send us. And my friends, it really isn't all that terribly difficult to share Jesus with other people in very practical ways and to see then what God will do because here's the thing you remember what Paul said here at the beginning he said the gospel is the power would you say that with me the gospel is the power he doesn't say you're the power thank God <laughs> can you imagine if it was up to us no, the gospel is the power. It does its work. Here's what, God's, here's what God's waiting for. God's waiting for some people who are humble enough to confess their weakness and bold enough to give him their all. Spanish River Church should never boast about itself. Look what we've done. Our church is the answer. No church is the answer. Jesus is the answer. He's waiting for a church that's weak enough to fall on its face and say, Lord, only through you. And then get the gospel out because only the churches don't change anybody. The gospel transforms people. Jesus changes people. But it's the church's work to show Jesus to the world and to give Jesus to the world. And when that happens, everything changes. A young 18-year-old boy living in Germany in 1940 had visions of becoming a physicist. But he was drafted into the German army. He became an anti-aircraft gunner. And in the bombings and in the war and everything that went on with all that, he saw his friends killed and incinerated. And then, of course, thankfully, Nazi Germany was defeated. And he was captured by British forces and sent to a POW camp in England. It was a camp that had American guards and one of the American chaplains came up to that young boy and he handed him a New Testament. It was a New Testament and the book of Psalms. This young boy was troubled. He'd seen his friends killed and he was just bought, why am I still here? He had no church background. He'd never been to church in his life. He didn't believe in God. And he's sitting there behind the barbed wire in that prisoner of war camp, and his chaplain gives him a New Testament in Psalms. And it was, it was, it was signed in the front by President Roosevelt. <laughs> and he looked inside of there, 
and he started to read. And he began to read about Jesus, and then he began to read the Psalms, and he came to the, the Psalm where it says, if I make my bed in hell, you're there. No matter where I am, you're there. And he said, God is with me even here? And his heart began to open up. He was transferred to a YMCA camp. And Christians in the village there, Christians who only months before had been bombed by his side, brought them home-cooked meals and opened up their churches and began to teach them Christian faith. And he came to faith in Jesus. And 40 years later, I sat with him and the Archbishop of Canterbury in a theologian's conference at a round table talking about the wonder of the gospel. He became one of the 20th century's most eminent theologians. His name is Jürgen Moltmann, one of the great German theologians of the 20th century, who was known for, get this, a theology of hope. And they asked him, please, please tell us your theology of hope in one sentence. And he said, it's this, God comes into the world to weep with us in our pain so that one day we will be able to laugh with him in heaven. My friends, Jesus has come and paid the price for our guilt and our shame and no matter how bad we know we are on the inside, he loves us and cherishes us and he will forgive and transform us. And he takes people who are atheists and turns them into the greatest theologians. He takes people that are broken like you and me and he transforms us. He takes people who are slaves and he makes them sons and daughters. And there's nothing like that good news in all the world. My friends, the world is waiting. Our hometown is waiting. 63% of our population says, I have no affiliation whatsoever. Let's go take them the good news of Jesus, which has changed us too. We'll just be fellow sinners telling them how great the Savior is. Amen? Lord Jesus, Savior of mankind, look with mercy on us, your servants, and root us in the gospel. Thank you that you liberate us personally. You unite us interpersonally, and you commission us missionally. You give us the gospel, not only to change us, not only to unite us, but to give it to the whole wide world. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. amen.